Welcome to Quilt and Tell, where quilters who love all aspects of the craft, from traditional and contemporary to art and modern, share their passion and perspectives on all things quilty. I'm Tracy Mooney. I'm Lori Baker. And I'm Ginger Sheehy-Tanik. Hello, everyone. We have a fun show for you today. Our guest is Juicy Juice himself, Giuseppe Roboto. And we are really excited to get a chance to talk to him. Our fine finish segment today is sponsored by Handy Quilter. And Diane Harris is here to discuss fabric choices in the new millennium, I suppose. Um, <laughs> she has such a wonderful sense of color in her quilts. And so she is going to talk to us a little bit about that. So stay tuned. How are you, ladies? Well, I'm looking forward to a four-day weekend. We're recording this before <laughs> Thanksgiving and we get right. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Woo-hoo! Yes, and, and, and actually this week, relatively, like I haven't had a ton of meetings. So it actually, that's kind of feels like a, a reward within itself, like to be able to have a whole day. And I'm like, wow, I actually got stuff done today. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I'm really worried about is the fact that I've got a 19-pound turkey. No. Start cooking and it there's, now. There's only three of us. So yeah. there's that. Turkey for the next two weeks. <laughs> right? I agree. Um, I'm a little bit excited about today's show. I, you know, I wasn't exactly sure how this was all going to come together. I think when I thought about having Giuseppe on, I was thinking sort of about the show being modern. And the more I delved into doing research on him, um, I don't think that's the direction it's going to go. And so I kind of feel like this show is really going to be a lot about color choices and fabric Mm -hmm. choices. and. Which can really shift things from looking, you know, taking a traditional block. If you put those modern colors in it, it really does give it a more modern feel. So, Mm -hmm. and I think that's what he does so well. Agree. And I have actually not met him in person. I've tried to meet him in person a few (laughs) times and not met him. So I'm a little bit excited to finally actually talk to him. Well, and it's surprising because the way you have spoken about him in the past, I just assumed you guys were like really good friends. It's so funny. I can't (laughs) believe you've never met him. (laughs) No, I haven't. And so it's, um, and, and it's, it's funny because we've talked a lot about him recently, um, in the office, uh, because he, I came out with this collection of these small blocks and Anissa, who actually has been on the show once before, uh, was absolutely obsessed with them. And so she would, you know, come in, you know, on Monday and we, she'd send us, we have this like water cooler chat that we use and she would drop these pictures of the blocks that she took and it would be one block and it would have taken her like three hours. Wow. But they're tiny, tiny. It's crazy. And so, and they're beautiful and very traditional, but tiny. Yeah, we'll we'll (laughs) definitely have to talk about those because I I think uh, I find that just fascinating. (laughs) I do too. And I think I'm sort of on this, like the opposite. I want like everything to be ginormous so that Mm. it's really easy to piece. (laughs) Yep. Yep. The thought of doing three hours and only having a tiny little thing. Yeah. That doesn't sound appealing right now. Yeah. No, No, I agree. (laughs) Not not in my pandemic world. Yep. I need that satisfaction right away. (laughs) So Lori, I'm really intrigued as to how this is going to go with you. Um, just because I feel like you have um, such a freeing sense of not only color, but about, you know, what blocks you put together and, you know, how you sort of do a very structured front and then a very freewheeling back. That's a huge part of the fun to me is that that throw everything together and see what works for the back. Just lots of fun. 
It's almost like we get to see the really kind of more, you know, traditional side of Lori and, you know, her, you know, because she is, you're very, you know, rarely do you like, you know, go crazy, at least in public. But I love (laughs) being able to look at the back of your quilts and it's like, yeah, that's the real Lori. That's the one. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I just had this thought. I was like, oh, wow, that really is like Lori's quilts really are Lori. I actually, I'm really proud of myself because in the month of, uh, uh, since the 1st of October, I've finished four quilts. Whoa. And they've all wow. got pieced backs. Oh, so man. Just fun, fun, fun. I'll, uh, I'll give you some pictures for the show notes page. Definitely. Wow. Oh, oh I'm so jealous. Lori, <laughs> you know, do you ever, like, are you, when you're making your backs these days, are you still using, like, sort of you know, unfinished blocks or, you know, UFO type blocks, or do you make those all fresh? I still have a huge box of orphan blocks. Really? Oh, um, wow. When we closed down the office and moved, one of the things that I brought home was a box that probably had two or three hundred orphan blocks in it oh my gosh and were those all blocks you had done or they were just oh, in no. general okay they were, <laughs> they were just blocks that that uh, had been used for color options and that sort okay. of thing for all the publications so I, I mean there were a bunch of them hmm. that's awesome I can't wait to go and talk to our guests are you guys ready yes oh, let's yes. do it Today in Open Studios, we are joined by fabric designer, quilt designer, sewing instructor, and the uber-talented Giuseppe Rabato. Welcome, Giuseppe. Thanks very much for having me. We are so excited to have you, aren't we, ladies? We are. Oh, my goodness. This has been the most fun to research. Can I just tell you, like, just the second, like, anything comes up about you, it's so great. (laughs) I love it. That's nice to hear. (laughs) And I'm actually wondering if we've actually met in person, because I know at the last market, I was sitting with Daryl in the Andover booth, and she was trying to get you to come over, and I think you had an appointment. So I kind of think we've, like missed each other multiple times. I was going to say, I think that we've, we've crossed, but never officially met on numerous occasions. I think <laughs> yeah. that happens a lot in our yeah. world, I think, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and I think you're one of those people that when you're in the booth, people want to talk to you about your fabric collections. Well, I don't know about any of that, but <laughs> it's nice to hope that, but I don't know. <laughs> So, um, so I think you've got some fabric collections coming because I've actually had some of my designers choose your fabrics lately and they're coming in magazines. Very well, that's exciting. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've got two actually. So one is Spectratastic. Spectrostatic. Ah, oh, <laughs> that's a tough you're one. so close. I regret now, every fiber of my being naming it oh that my because gosh. everybody gets oh, it wrong. No. <laughs> oh. Now, how did you come up with that? Like, what was the what was the inspiration for that so name? So, the group Spectrostatic is it was from my collection uh, Declassified, which was um, mm-hmm. a collection about the government conspiracy to cover up the existence of extraterrestrials. Because I just didn't feel like I wanted to design a floral group. So I thought I would go as far <laughs> as possible. It just went the other <laughs> just went real far, real far from it. I went to outer space where there are no flowers. So that we know of, that we know of, yes, that, that you we know, know of. of. <laughs> and so um, the, the spectrostatic print is basically like, um, it's a mimeograph like photocopy texture pretty much. And so, like, it's just that that texture that you get from photocopying something over and over and over again. And um, there were, like, three, you know, just, like, different grays of it in the group. And I just really loved it as a blender. And so I, we decided to break it out and make it its own blender group. It comes from, you know, the idea of static, just, like, you know, kind of, like, you know, white noise kind of look. Um, and then spectra for spectrum. Mm. Spectrum plus static equals spectrostatic. But I should have named it something simpler because I'm the 
Even I say it wrong sometimes. So uh, you just have to explain it every time <laughs> you say it, and then you remember. It's like, oh, okay, now it makes sense. <laughs> I, I'm I'm actually having like an anxiety attack because I just went to print and I'm going. Did we spell it right? Fingers <laughs> 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 <Yeah>! crossed. <laughs> I'm freaking out because I literally signed off yesterday, and so now I'm going. It's every fiber of my being not to just go on Insight right now and check. <laughs> Oh, no. Gosh. I promise okay. I'll forgive any typos. I promise. Oh, fingers crossed. Well, I'll just owe you something. I'll owe you something. And you've also got a woven collection coming out, yes? Yeah. So I have, yeah. So Spectre Static 2 is like a continuation of that original group. And then Entwine is my new woven Dobby collection. It's um, a really bright group of uh, wovens that I designed um, a while ago now. it's it, I mean, the process for wovens is super, super different than for, you know, for printed uh, traditional quilting cotton groups. I'm really, really excited about that group. The hand is really beautiful. That fabric, the drape is gorgeous. I'm really excited and hoping that people will make garments with it. I would love to see, you know, it become blouses and skirts and button ups and all that good stuff. Mm, that sounds delicious. I have a designer who is working on something right now for me. So I don't think it's in the office yet. So I was just going, oh, I should have run over and like checked to see if it had arrived. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And you'll have to give us a heads up when it comes there because I'd love to see oh, it. Oh, okay. I will. I'll yeah. take some photos and text I think yeah. I've seen the one you're talking about and it's pretty awesome. Mm. Yeah, it's by Chris Ann Watkins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's mm -hmm. it's going to be oversized. She's climbies. terrific. Yeah. She's oh, super, my gosh. Talented. Yeah, she yeah. Super talented. Let me tell you. And Lori knows because she's, you know, usually in the office. She's right next door to me. And um, there have been some times that we have just all stood around her quilts when they arrived. Mm -hmm. Because she is insane. Like it, when she does a plaid, every plaid will line up across mm -hmm. the entire quilt. Oh, wow, Daryl, um, Daryl, who you were talking about before, who um, you know was my former work wife when I was working at Andover Fabric. <laughs> yes, um, that's still my one of my very very best friends. Um, she and I, whenever whenever she would make something for our booth, we would just stand and gawk at it for just forever. I bet. Yeah, but yeah. It was. We were always excited to open her packages. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, so your piecing. Let's segue into your piecing because you've done a whole series of of mini blocks, and um, Anissa in our office actually went crazy and was doing all of them and sending <laughs> us photos as she was working on them with you. And they're ridiculously small. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty small. Yeah, oh. they're pretty small. They're really not that. They're not so hard to make. They're really not. They're all they're all foundation paper pieced. So, you know, there's uh, if you're familiar with the process of it, it's really not mm -hmm. so hard. There's you know some tips and tricks and stuff like that that come along with the pattern. I just love those. I, I, there's something so meditative about working on those tiny projects. I just absolutely love making those little blocks sometimes when there's like a like a log jam in my brain and I'm like I can't work like I'm trying to figure out what to work on and I don't know where to go I don't know where to start that's always a really really great kind of I don't know I don't know what to call it but it just kind of resets me a little bit you know just like working on something tedious that is meticulous that you need to focus on kind of gets my brain back on track so how long does it usually take for you to make one of those? It depends on the block. So there are eight there's eight in the series it's a pattern series that I have with Allison Glass called the mini series you know, like there's like a courthouse step and a log cabin that those come together pretty right. quick. And then some of them take a little longer. But um, I, I started when I first started, my, my obsession started with the pineapple block. Mm. And when I first my first one took about three hours or so. And now I can knock one out in about 50 minutes. So wow. I've gotten pretty good. Wow, at it. that is pretty good. Holy moly. Maybe that's what I need to start to make a pineapple block because I've never actually made one. But I was like, oh, maybe if I start small, I don't know. I don't know. Would it be easier or not? Um, maybe <laughs> don't start with the small pineapple block. <laughs> yeah. Maybe start with, start with like an eight inch, like a regular pineapple block. And then, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to hate me and like just throw a pineapple forever. <laughs> it's such a good block. <laughs> so how did you start quilting? Um, I lived across the street from a fabric store when I was living in Seattle, going to college. My, my grandmother's a seamstress, so I learned how to sew when I was really young. But um, I never really had much interest in sewing garments. So I kind of had the skill set, but didn't really have much of a desire. 
And then um, when I was living in Seattle, I was um, going to school for uh, for acting, for musical theater. And mm. I, I would just constantly go by this shop. And I was a knitter at the time. So I would – I mean, I still am a knitter. But I was knitting a lot more then. And I would um, go into the shop because they had yarn too. And I would always look at the fabric. And I just – I had a sewing machine at home. So I just thought – you know, just buy some fabric and go home and start sewing some pieces together. You know, I admired all the quilts on the wall and it was just seemed like, I don't know, like I just pondered over it for so long instead of just doing it. Finally, one day I just thought, eh, just give it a try and see what happens. So I started with improv quilting, which now if you look at my work is so far from improv. I mean, like my, a lot of my work is, is super, super in style is really traditional, really, really traditional kind of quilt blocks and elements. You know, the thing that the only thing that really is contemporary about them, in my opinion, is really just the color choices and the, and the designs of, in the fabric, I guess. That's where it kind of started. It started with just kind of cutting up pieces. And, you know, I didn't know anything about quarter inch seam allowances or scant quarter inches or anything like that. I just kind of went for it. And from there, I started watching YouTube videos and reading books and then the, you know, learned a little bit more here and there. And then, yeah, that's where that's how where it came from. I want to back it up a little further, though, because uh, you'd mentioned uh, that your grandmother was a seamstress, but you actually lived in the house with your grandparents, right? You grew up with them. I did. I grew up with my grandparents. My mom and dad were uh, our restaurant owners, so ah. they were worked a lot, especially my father. We lived on the lower level of my grandparents' house. And so when my parents were at work, we spent a lot of time with my grandparents. I, you know, I, I would watch my grandmother sew for hours and hours and hours. And uh, we would, you know, she works for a factory when back when stuff was still made in America, you know, when like you would go to Macy's mm -hmm. and all the clothes were made in America. We would go pick her up. My grandfather would pick her up, would pick me up after school and we would go grab her and I would walk down the rows of Sicilian women and they'd pinch my cheeks and give me a dollar. <laughs> And uh, it was great. <laughs> so it was it was awesome. It was the best. And then she would oh. do um, on the back of her tags, she would put, um, I think her mark was two little red X's so that we would go to Macy's and look through like when she'd find something that was something that she'd worked on, we'd look through to find the ones that she'd actually made in the store. Oh, that's so cool. It was wow. cool. Yeah, it oh, was that's cool. awesome. Okay. And I have to ask, because when I was uh, kind of researching and stuff, I noticed you had put in there that your grandfather, he used to watch wrestling. Okay. Is that like professional <laughs> wrestling, like Hulk Hogan-ish, but I'm guessing before Hulk Hogan-ish? <laughs> no, no, yeah, it was, that was definitely, that's what he watched. I have oh. vivid memories of the Grim Reaper and Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan. Oh my God. Yeah. I grew up in Southern Maryland. So that was like my whole childhood was <laughs> I had two brothers. So I just had to, that made me giggle so hard when I just thought of, you know, your grandpa watching wrestling and your grandma over there sewing. Like it just was such a great visual. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that came from for him. Like, it was such a weird, I mean, like my grandparents are off the boat Sicilians and oh, I just have no, I have no idea where on earth my grandfather, I mean, he was like obsessed with it. Just like watched it all the time. That and horse races, the horse races I get, that's a very Italian yeah. thing. Mm -hmm, but the, mm -hmm. yeah, the wrestling, him and my uncle Paul, they would just watch. Oh. It was, it was the weirdest thing. I never understood. Well, I wonder if that's where you got. Well, I wonder if that's where you got that flair for drama, maybe too, though, because it was all about the drama. <laughs> that's definitely true. I have my, my grandfather to ask to thank for the theater, and my grandmother to thank for the sewing. Yeah, maybe. So. There you go. <laughs> so, um, where did you where Where did you grow up physically? Like what what state? In Long Island, New York. Oh, yeah. gotcha. I grew up very, in West very cool. Yeah. And then, oh, uh, but then you went to school in Seattle? I did. I did. Oh, wow. So that had to have been a little bit of a culture shock. <laughs> pretty different. Yeah. I moved away when I was 20, I think, either 20 or 21. I moved to I moved to Seattle. I had like, you know, a lot of self-discovering to do and kind of thought that I needed a clean break of just not going to a place where I definitely didn't know a soul. Um, I was really eager for that. I had a very not a I had like a pretty structured childhood. You know, I worked from I worked at my father's restaurant when I was 12 and worked there until I moved away. Wow. So I really wanted some, some freedoms, you know, I wanted mm -hmm. to kind of live my life for me for a while. And, um, it was definitely, I would, I wouldn't even be close to the path that I'm on if, if it hadn't been for that experience. So I'm really, really, really glad that I packed up and moved 3000 miles away. Across from a fabric shop, no less. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 It was, was destiny. It was destiny. It was definitely <laughs> destiny. There's no question about it. Absolutely, it was. Every I, I've been able, there's actually my, a print from my first collection called String Theory. I've always said my entire life, I can, I can remember every single moment that led me to 
the next moment. I'm really, really good at being like, that was the moment that this turned into this for me and this turned into this. And um, that's what that fabric, that print was about, was about all of these dots that connected these significant moments in my life that connect me to this thing leading to this thing and this thing leading to this thing. So that's what, um, that's what that fabric collection is, what that, that print in that collection was all about. I love that mm. all of your prints have such great stories behind them. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're always kind of, they're pretty deeply hidden in there. <laughs> I don't think anybody would ever guess them based on, based on what they look like. But yeah, I do have, there's a lot of stories behind my fabric. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of personal stuff, a lot of weird stuff, um, a lot of fun stuff. You know, I had the, what the alien collection I was talking about before. That, there's so much stuff hidden in there from some, you know, from my favorite sci-fi horror films and things like that. So I really enjoy, even if I'm the only person who knows about them, they they make me very, very happy. Well, obviously, they're making other people happy, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. I hope so. So do you consider yourself um, a modern quilter or do you consider yourself a traditional quilter? Um, I don't really spend too much time thinking about about it honestly i just really 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 like sewing a lot so mm-hmm. i just sometimes sometimes they're pretty modern and sometimes they're not and it just depends on my mood i think i definitely i mean if, if i was going to call myself anything i guess it would be a modern traditionalist so i so mm-hmm. basically i guess to answer your question both but mm-hmm. um yeah i just kind of like to i can I, relate to that actually yeah yeah yeah, because I don't I don't feel like I fit into any particular category, but I I am drawn to traditional quilts, but I love modern fabric. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it. I really there's so much that I I mean gosh, look at like an, the archives of like how many wonderful quilts there have been in the past and there's just so much inspiration to be gleaned from there. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I just I, I always find my, I, I I get way more out of an exhibit of traditional quilts than I do out of an exhibit of of contemporary quilts. If that, I guess you know, if I guess that says something right there. You know, at quilt mar- like I, I, a quilt con is wonderful, and I have a great time there. I absolutely love it. But if it's always um, walking the uh, festival at quilt market, mm. that that's always where I find myself like just wanting to go home and sit down on my machine and sew for hours. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah, I get that too. I get that a lot, you know. There's just all sorts of stuff there. You know, you have the you have the contemporary, everything you have there. the traditional, everything is there. Mm-hmm. So that's I think, you know, maybe that's what it is, is really just like seeing the craft through so many different perspectives is something super, super inspiring, you know? Yeah. And I feel like it's also the best of the best. I feel yeah. like Houston is the, you know, is kind of the show to aspire to. Mm-hmm. And when you walk through there and you see these quilts by Hollis Chatelaine came to, comes to mind, you know, yes. like of her, like a beautiful, huge images and, and you can see all of it and you can see it pretty close up to at market and yeah. it's nice and quiet in there. So I just feel like it's a meditative space. That's very inspiring. Absolutely. That's the thing that I missed most about from not being, you know, us not going to market this mm-hmm. year. That was what I missed most was just seeing all the quilts. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And the people. And the people. Yeah, of course. The people, oh, of course. the people. I miss the people. <laughs> being, being able to walk past you you again and not, not saying hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, chances are we probably all have been in the same room and just not, you know, known it. Guaranteed. Yep, well, like and I've known it. So I, oh, I, I, yes. I, I've, you know, tried to like introduce myself to you in like not an awkward way, um, which, you know, is, is just a thing at market, but um, you always have had like a crowd around you. So, and, and Daryl, Daryl Cohen, I just love her to pieces. And whenever we're at market together, we always talk about restaurants and food. She's the best. She's the best. She was my, that I, the thing that I miss most about Daryl, I mean, well, we, we're seeing each other, you know, still because I lived in New York and everything. Um, but since I moved, to, I moved to Maine a couple of weeks ago and I haven't seen her. I mean, we weren't really seeing much of each other with the pandemic to begin yeah, with, but, yeah, you know, yeah. but um, yeah, she is, uh, she is the best. I absolutely love her. I just gave her a FaceTime tour of my new apartment last night. Oh, nice. So, yeah. <laughs> so how is the move? Like, I, I just feel like that is 
was probably, I, I mean, I, I'm projecting, but I just, I've yeah. known several people who were living in New York when the pandemic hit and several moved away or, you know, are still not back in the city. So how, how did that, how, how was moving in the middle of a pandemic? I can't imagine that was good. It's still really, really hard to articulate how I'm feeling about all of the things that have changed in my life in the past couple of weeks. Um, or, or months, I guess it feels like weeks, but it's really been a couple months now. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's so, so strange. I, I just, we, when we left New York, I mean, we were in our apartment just every single day for like, just th- like every single day for three months straight. Like we just didn't go anywhere. Um, maybe, you know, like when it was late at night and there was nobody on the street, we'd go for a walk or something like that, but that was pretty much it. I mean, to wait like to get eggs at the grocery store, we had to wait on the line that was like two or three hours long. Oh my gosh. So it was just really, it was just this really strange, bizarre, apocalyptic feeling experience. Mm -hmm. And we basically just, um, me and my significant other, we basically decided that we didn't really feel like, you know, I mean, and you know, it's swinging back around now. We knew it was going to happen and we just felt like we, we couldn't do it again. We just couldn't handle it. It was really strange um, because I've really I've been ready to leave New York for a while to go on to the next chapter. I knew I'd want to move to Maine eventually. I didn't think it would be now, and certainly not under these circumstances. It was kind of something I thought would happen in my fifties or sixties. Mm. Um, so it was, it's bittersweet. Yeah, I don't know. I just we were in the moving truck driving over, um, like driving out of New York, and I was just sobbing, like. Mm. Because like we'd been stuck in the same place for so long and then, I don't know, it was just, it's so, so bizarre. It was such a weird thing. And everybody has their like really weird story about what the past few months have been like for them. And um, definitely didn't plan to go from state to state during this move. I mean, it, we the decision, we made it so quickly and I guess I'm glad we did, but it's still, it's just bizarre. I wasn't like, like New York's home. That's where I grew up. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, my family is still there, so dealing with feeling like I abandoned them and things like that—it's super, like, it's just crazy. And I don't even think any of us have even begun to process what we've actually mm-hmm. experienced collectively this year. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Gosh, okay, somebody crack a joke, quick. <laughs> well, it was funny you were saying how you know you didn't think you envision yourself leaving until you were in your fifties. I feel as if this year has aged all of us. So yeah. you're probably yeah. not too far. That's true. That's true. Oh that may be true. Yeah. Oh man. I think we've talked a lot on the show about about how we've been feeling, and it's been hard. It has been super, super hard. And I feel like, actually, I just wrote an edit, you know, an editorial letter for the next issue of Fonz and Porter's Quick and Easy Quilts, and I actually talk about that because I just wasn't in a happy place when I started to write it, and I just thought, you know, here we are. We're going back on lockdown and so you know it's not quite that bad yet but it's it feels like it's mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. and my kids are I have two boys who live in Chicago and I've got a teenager who lives with me in in Colorado and fa- other family in New Jersey and and some in California and you know other places and it's been hard and mm-hmm. I actually wrote the whole letter about how if all you can do to be creative is read this magazine, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And if you're sewing and sewing like a crazy person, that's okay too. And I don't know, we've just, we've talked a lot about the stress of this and we've gotten letters from people who, you know, were making masks and masks and masks and masks and masks and masks and masks and, um, some were feeling guilty about making masks and some didn't want to be making masks, but they felt like they had to. And that's what this year has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I was watching. I was listening to um, a, another podcast uh, a couple of days ago, talking about how this is something that I'm sure you've heard this too. How many times have you heard somebody say, "Well, we were due for a pandemic," and yeah. I think that that's something that people like. It, 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 like we understand that that has happened in history before. That like. Mm-hmm. thousands of millions of people have been wiped out from something but you know i don't think any of us ever could have imagined that that would actually be something that we would see in our lifetime you know right so right. it's just such a 
Yeah, I don't know. It's it just it just feels like a dream still talking about it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so I know, and, and and yet it's been going on for a while. And I my my fear is that stuff is really starting to feel normal now, and I don't mm. want it to feel normal. Like you know, like wearing masks and like doing these types of things, and yeah, just whatever the outcome is, it's kind of a scary scenario. I have eleven year old daughter that was crying herself to sleep last night, and it's like you know trying to explain why we can't go anywhere for Thanksgiving break. It was hard. It was really hard. Yeah, crazy times. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And if our listeners haven't guessed, we record this, you know, a week ahead of time. And so it's it's the 24th, Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And I've got a 19 pound turkey for three of us. <laughs> and that's what this year is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yep. Now, Tracy, that makes me laugh because I have a 14-pound turkey for two of us. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but still, you're able to find a 14. You can't find any small ones now. No. I think like 20, 20 and higher is like all that's out there. Yes, <laughs> it's crazy. I actually heard a great tip, which was to, to freeze part of it for Christmas since we won't be going anywhere for Christmas either. Yep. <laughs> Goodness. Goodness. Well, gee, I wanted to like end the podcast on like a happy note. So maybe we need to tell a quick like happy story. And I don't. So what what do you have coming up for you next year or so, in the next coming months? Yeah, good. That's good. That's a good. That's a nice part of the segue. Good, <laughs> good job. Segue. Well done. Well <laughs> done. I tried. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I actually have, um, you know, a big part of this year has been kind of re I, I, I'm kind of reevaluating and rethinking how my business works because I only left my full-time job at Andover in November. So good advice. Don't like, you know, if you, if it seems like there's a pandemic coming, don't quit your job. But (laughs) um, (laughs) unfortunately there were no signs of it in November. So, um, so it's been a tough couple of months, but it's good. This is because I think this kind of thing is what keeps you on your toes. You know, it's the kind of thing that makes you like, you know, now I'm doing other things that I had planned to do later, but that I will be doing now. Um, instead. So, you know, virtual teaching, I'm going to be starting to do more of that in 2021. I'm finally launching a website next year, which is something that I've put off mostly as a point of pride because everybody said when I first started in this industry and started going to like trade shows and stuff, people were like, nobody's going to pay any attention to you unless you have a blog or a website. And I was just like, eh, I'm fine. Instagram's fine. That's enough for me. And then I like, you know, so it was a point of pride for me that I like got offered a full-time job in the fabric industry. And I'm like a fabric designer without a website and this kind of thing, that and the other. Because <laughs> I don't really like, I don't do this job because I like technology. I do this job because I like the fabric and the sewing. So mm-hmm. I just kind of avoided it at all costs. He said on a pod, as he's like recording a podcast. <laughs> but um, but um, I've been trying to, you know, I'm, I'm realizing now, okay, I'm clearly this year has taught us that that is no longer a viable option. So um, I'm launching a website next year, which I'm excited about. I have my first pattern coming out in the beginning of next year and a series of, I'm hoping, four patterns next year that I'm going to release. So that's all stuff that I've been working on. My next fabric collection will be coming out next year, which is inspired by my grandmother, which I'm excited about. Ooh, nice. So, yeah, there's, um, lots, there, I'm, there's a lot that I'm really looking forward to in 2021. Uh, so what are you going to be teaching? Um, I, um, the, my tiny piecing is by far my most popular class nice. that we were talking about before. And that's a really good virtual class. It's, you know, it's, it's a, cause it's so small you can just hold it right up to the camera, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good virtual class. And then we're, I mean, I, everything else, I mean, I, I pretty much have all of my old, my other class offerings that I have. I teach, you know, some foundation paper piecing classes and, um, some color technique things and things like that. I guess we're going to kind of just see what works virtually and what doesn't and go from there. But for the most part, um, it's, I think it'll probably end up being a lot more like lectures and trunk shows and trunk shows are super great to do virtually because you can just have images up on the screen and you can Mm -hmm. show like as much as you possibly could ever. There's way more stuff that I can show in a virtual one that I could show if I was traveling. So that's actually, that I've been enjoying a lot. Virtual trunk shows have been really, really great. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited for uh, I'm excited for this year to be over. I don't think much is going to change January first, but I'm just excited to like just like put a knife in the heart of this horrific year and yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. I know. It'll, there's will be something therapeutic about that. 
Well, if anybody does need therapy, I highly suggest checking out your Instagram feed because you cannot <laughs> go there and not smile. Like there is just, it's so bright and so happy. Like I just, I, I think that's definitely going to be my go-to now when I'm like feeling low. I'm just going to go just scroll through your nice uh, Instagram pages and oh my goodness, and just smile. <laughs> nice I try to keep it a happy, positive, bright place. So thank you. I, that's nice to hear. Well, thank you so, so, so much for finally being on the podcast. We've been trying to work this out for a while, and I'm so glad that it finally, all the stars aligned. Yes, me too. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Today's Fine Finishes segment is brought to you by Handy Quilter. And we have with us Diane Harris, brand ambassador for Handy Quilter Stitch. And we want to talk a little bit about our fabric choices when we go for a quilt. Back in the 1980s, quilting teachers told students that every quilt needed to have a print, a solid, which was usually muslin, and a pin dot. So what are your go-to guidelines when choosing fabrics for a quilt? Well, uh, it's great to be here with you guys today. And you know, as I I think back to the 80s when I started quilting, and that actually was not bad advice from a teacher because our choices in fabric were so limited. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. You pretty much needed to put a pin dot in everything to have enough variety to get anywhere. Um, one of the first quilts that I made uh, is part of one of my trunk shows called 100 Small Quilts. And it has a pin dot and it has muslin and it has a little print. And, you know, we just didn't have the selection that we have today. Okay, can I ask a silly question? What's a pin dot? <laughs> well, a pin dot is just a very tiny little, usually a white dot on a background of solid color. Okay. Um, All right. I've just never heard it called that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay. I, Lori, do you know why it's called a pin dot? Maybe because the dot is about the size of the head of a pin? That would I'm be my sure. guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Little yeah. tiny dots. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it was just to give it that uh, depth? Is that, that why? Or Okay, Ginger, there was just, we didn't have much back then. Oh, like so funny. There was, See, that world just doesn't even imagine. I can't no. even imagine that. Like, I just feel like there's fabric everywhere now. Well, there was at yeah. least, but. <laughs> I, I yeah. started quilting in about 1994, and I lived uh, two blocks away from a fabric store. And the fabric, the cotton, was maybe five feet and you had like gingham, you had muslin, mm -hmm. and then you had these little tiny dots. And you you had to go like every once in a while just to try and find a different color. And certain mm -hmm. seasons, you wouldn't be able to get certain colors. Mm -hmm. Like you, So that's why people built stashes, because you couldn't always get yellow if you wanted yellow. Right. Oh, that totally makes sense. No, I just, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around that. <laughs> and You're ginger, the florals baby. then were, were uh, <laughs> tiny. The florals oh, were mm -hmm. tiny. So, so you couldn't just put two florals together because there wasn't enough contrast because they were both tiny prints, mm -hmm. which is why then the pin dot started making um, a difference for the look. Wow. Okay. Sorry to divert, but it was like you kept calling it that. And I was like, I don't know what that is. So thank you for, thank you for giving me that insight. You won't be alone in not knowing what that is. Um, I, I was just recently going through some old books and I came across some really old quilters newsletters from, you know, a decade or two before there was the internet and quilters connected through that publication by writing into the magazine and then the magazine would publish your name and your address and say, I'm looking to exchange five inch squares in reds and purples. And that's, that's how we connected. And I thought at the time, there are lots of people quilting now who don't remember this world. And the pin dot is the same sort of a thing. Yep. 
Yep, I'm, I'm definitely learning the history slowly but surely. But uh, well, and I okay. First off, I just have to laugh because I was kind of reading through your bio and everything, and you were it was saying that you have been sewing for almost fifty years. So basically, you were sewing in the womb. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I learned to sew in Nebraska 4-H Club starting when I was about nine years old, and I turned sixty this year. So yeah, more than fifty years. Um, I took to it like a duck to water. I never looked back. I I have enjoyed being at the machine and creating for as long as I can remember. It's like the thing, when you find the thing you were made to do, that's what sewing is for me. Oh, that's, oh, that's awesome. That is. Oh. Yeah. So Lori, what, uh, what are your fabrics, uh, you know, the go-to fabrics? Did you have anything or? Well, nowadays... My fabric choices are so much wider than they used to be. There's lots of choices. And I would say generally the thing that I really watch for when I'm choosing fabric for a specific quilt is value. I, I do lots of different colors, but that that value thing is, is where you get um, a, a visual difference so the pieces and parts show off that you've done some piecing. And Lori, sometimes when I talk about value um, to my students, occasionally I'll get some blank looks. And so mm -hmm. um, I've, I've started explaining value as value is just the lightness or darkness of a fabric compared to its neighbors. That's a pretty easy way to remember. And value creates contrast. And contrast is what allows you to see the design. Um, so they're sort of two things. They're, they're like Reese's peanut butter cups. The peanut butter and the chocolate are separate, but they're always working together. Um, that's how I think of value and contrast. What a Ooh. good explanation. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. And it's tasty too. <laughs> so Tracy, tell us what you, what you're looking for when you're choosing fabric for a quilt. Oh gosh. Um, so I feel like it has changed so drastically since when I first started quilting because now the amount of fabric that we have to choose from is amazing and yes. overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And and if you don't buy the fabric when you see it, sometimes you miss Gone, it. Yeah. Yes. So mm -hmm. I feel like um, the way that newer quilters use fabric is completely different as well because now we've got these like adorable bundles of pre-cuts to throw into the mix as well so I have a tendency to fall in love with a fat quarter stack or um, a layer cake or even a jelly roll and Basically, I now sort of use those with a light or dark or, you know, a solid or, you know, something for the background. And that is quite different from the way that I used to work. You know, I used to pick the fabrics that I liked in the store and I would try to pick, you know, something that was a little bit of a, you know, maybe a larger print and then a smaller print and a solid. And, you know, and that was how I would go. And I would try to make sure that the values were different. And now I find myself trying to figure out how to use an entire collection in a quilt, which I think is a little bit different. Mm. So I'm curious if Diane has any tips for mm. people who are using an entire collection. Yes. You know, I, I feel like you don't ever want to make the quilt that causes the viewer to say, uh, she mm -hmm. bought a bundle. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. You know, a, a bundle is an awesome thing, but I feel like there are always going to be a few fabrics that don't work for your particular project. So I think mm -hmm. one of the first things, um, if you're if you're fabric savvy, one of the first things you want to do is look at your project and the size of the patches or the elements uh, and edit out the fabrics that don't work. And then my favorite thing to do is to take the bundle to my stash and pull things from my stash that complement it, that go nicely with it. Um, because that way I'm going to get a quilt that's uniquely my own. 
It started with this designer's beautiful bundle. I got rid of the ones that didn't work. I added the ones that were in my stash because I love them. And, you know, that's a winning recipe. You can't hardly go wrong. I wish you could see me, Diane. I'm sitting here just nodding my head continually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we all, we all are enticed by the amazing fabric that's out there. But we also want to use the fabric that we already Mm -hmm. own. And I think uh, putting what you already have with some pre-cuts or with some half yards of a collection you love is really the best of both worlds. True. Now, yes, are, agree. are there any actual rules when it comes to choosing and mixing fabrics? Or is it really just, <laughs> you know, kind of what your eye likes or, or what you feel good about? Because I feel like my confidence level in choosing and like just being able to walk into a store or being able to look at my stash and be like, oh, I like this with that and this with that. I don't know that my confidence level is there yet. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the answer is uh, yes and no. Okay. Um, yeah. Th- there are things that you can do to make your quilt more successful, certainly. But in the end, it really only matters if you love your quilt. I make quilts that please my eye. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing for my creativity. Now, I suspect that there may be other ways to look at it, but I, I don't really think there are rules. I think if, uh, if I have a student, you know, and I guide her towards some fabric choices, I always tell her the bottom line is that you have to like it. You have to live with this after I'm long gone from this quilt, you know? So yeah, there are, there are guidelines to help you make the most successful quilt possible. But I feel like the biggest rule of all is that you should love it. I definitely think I was way more daring when I first started because I really didn't understand that, you know, there are certain things you probably should or shouldn't do. And so I just went in and was like, oh, I like those colors together. I'll go and do that. And now I I, I find myself second guessing myself. It's so funny now that I've like, I, I think too, because I'm showing my quilts to more people and getting more feedback. And that's not always, you know, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think dealing with that, you know, the inner critique uh, that you you have for yourself but then also hearing it from other people. So yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, it, it is interesting. Like sometimes I will take a pretty, a pretty wildly out there quilt to my guild and show it. And if I kind of see people squinting their eyes and going, huh, <laughs> I, I know that it hasn't struck a chord with them the way it struck a chord with me. And I, I, you know, I'm 60 years old, so I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. But if, if I was a, a really young person or a brand new quilter of any age, that might sting a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I feel like it's good to remember when you're looking at someone else's quilt, she poured her heart and soul mm-hmm. into that most likely. So find all the great things to say about it that you can. I think we should be each other's biggest cheerleaders. And then, you know, gosh, find good quilting teachers who will guide you, but always let you find your own voice too. Such good advice. Yes. You know, I was just thinking about, um, Carly Porter has a story about um, a quilt that she was working on that uh, she was really proud of. And she went over to a friend who was like a teacher who was showing her some things. And the person wanted her to take out a seam. And she was like, no, I'm okay with leaving that in. And Mm -hmm. they tore the quilt. And just sort of grabbed it and did that whole little rip fabric thing. And... You know, it's amazing to me that she's continued to quilt. And I feel like I feel like uh, we need to filter that, especially with young quilters coming into the industry because or, you know, the craft. It's not even Mm -hmm. the industry. It's the craft. We need to encourage people to follow their hearts. And sometimes, you know, you learn as you go. So, yes, 
I, yeah. I feel like that's really an important lesson for us to sort of hold our tongue and find the good. I love that you said that. Find the good thing to point out. Yes, yes. Yeah, and for somebody like Carly, I think it was great because that really kind of like lit the fire under her. She was like, oh, no, this is going to make me do what I want to do even more. Right. And so I think you can right. take that attitude too. <laughs> well, and you know, we all make some dogs along the way. Um, yes. I, I take a few dogs to every trunk show because um, – Everyone needs to know that, you know, everybody makes them. And I have to say, I learn more on those ugly quilts mm. uh, than I do on the quilts that go perfectly. I, I yep. really learn the most on the failures. Yeah. I made a quilt one time and I thought it was horrible, just ugly as a mud fence. And I put a, <laughs> a note on Facebook that said, I finished this quilt. It's ugly, but I guess it'll keep somebody warm. And within seconds, one of my great nieces said, Aunt Lori, I like to be warm. She got her quilt. (laughs) But it, it made me realize that just because I think something isn't very wonderful, there are people out there that will think it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yes. 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 In one of my trunk shows, I talk about something called free motion forgiveness, um, because I feel like one of the places we're all very, very hard on ourselves is when we're learning how to do free motion quilting. And I think if you're really aspiring to high level work and, you know, it's your goal to win Houston uh, someday, then then that's one thing. But most of the people that I meet at quilt guilds are quilters who are making fairly simple quilts, but they're making them for the people they love. Yep. And in that, in that mm-hmm. case, your piecing, your applique, and even your free motion quilting are just fine. Yes. Yes. Yep. There's something about giving a quilt with love that that trumps you know, all the workmanship in the world. I think your workmanship should be the best that you know how to do. um, And you don't want the quilt to fall apart. But if you give the quilt with love, my goodness, that trumps everything else. I love that. I love that. Well said. Yes, (laughs) I agree. I agree. Well, Diane, it has been such a pleasure actually finally talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) Because we've emailed each other so many times. Yes, and it's always a pleasure to work with you guys in your publications. I I enjoy it so much. Good. I agree, too. It's it's always a pleasure to see what you've made and the fabrics that you've chosen. And, of course, the quilting is always amazing. My quilting is mediocre at best, but <laughs> I'm I'm learning free motion forgiveness. So there we go. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for joining us today, Diane. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Visit handyquilter.com for more information and to browse their library of free educational quilting videos. And that's handy with an I, handyquilter.com. We'll help you to get started and keep you inspired to finish your quilts. Thanks so much for listening to Quilt and Tell. Remember, you can find more information about our sponsors or what we talked about today in our show description. If you haven't already subscribed, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please tell your friends. Thanks for listening and happy quilting. The Quilt and Tell podcast is produced by me, Tracy Mooney, and our executive producer of podcasts is Jared Mayer.